Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat sermon by Rabbi Rebecca Schatz. I want to say a few things before I start. There, there are many people for whom if they come into a service that I'm leading, that I not only end up feeling honored that they're here, but also feel really emotional to see. And someone who came for your bar mitzvah today was my bat mitzvah rabbi, Rabbi Sherry Hirsch. And I became a rabbi in part because of the way that I got to learn with Rabbi Hirsch when I was becoming a bat mitzvah. And when I work with kids like you, Ori, I remember exactly why I became a rabbi because not only did I have a teacher who made me want to learn the way that I now learn, but because I, got, I get to work with students who I hope I was like when I was a student working with a rabbi who was curious and interested and really pushed the rabbi to understand what it means to learn Torah. So I'm going to share a piece of Torah and then I'm going to ask you to come up here so that I can give you a blessing. Now you can sit for a few minutes. <clears throat> On Thursday night, my friend and colleague, Rabbi Amanda Russell, called and asked, have you ever heard a reason as to why there are seven plagues in last week's Parsha and only three in this week's Parsha? Has anybody thought about that before? No? Did someone say yes? Okay, if you have, then we should talk. I honestly responded, that's so interesting. I have never thought about that before. She then suggested that it is because, yes, the first seven are bad and devastating, But the last three all bring about darkness. Darkness in different forms and shades, so to speak, but debilitating darkness for the land, for the community, and in the home. Locusts, choshech, and the death of the firstborn. Could it be that these three plagues are more connected to Pharaoh's emotional reaction to losing power and letting go than the seven beforehand? Locusts are the last plague that come with a warning. Pharaoh knows that the locusts are coming, but not about the plague of darkness or the death of the firstborn. Moshe and Aaron approach Pharaoh and say, God wants you to let us go so we can worship God. And if you refuse, locusts will be brought upon your territory. Pharaoh's courtiers even say, okay, this is enough. Let's let them go, as Ori mentioned earlier. But no. The Israelites remain and locusts descend over the land. And the Torah tells us they, quote, invaded all the land of Egypt and settled within all the territory of Egypt in a thick mass. Never before had there been so many, nor will there ever be so many again. They hid all the land from from view and the land was darkened. The land is unseeable to the Egyptians and the locusts destroy their crops and their homes. Darkness, not the plague of darkness, but a now empty land, rid of food and grain and swarming and creating dark clouds without a glimmer of light. The plague of darkness, Choshech, falls upon the Egyptians without warning. So I became skeptical if this was actual darkness that is experienced as the absence of light, or was it emotional, deep, suffocating fear? After all, the Israelites still had light, untouched by any of the plagues, 
and not experiencing this sudden darkness. Lo ra'u ish et echav, achiv, excuse me, velo kamu ish mitachtav shloshet yamim. Ulechol b'nei Yisrael hayaor b'mosh votam. A person cannot see their friend. No person got up from their place for three days, and all of the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. This tangible darkness seemed to have frozen the Egyptians in their place, kept them in fear, shocked them into paralysis, and stopped them from interacting with each other. To me, this plague seems the most understandable of all, but not in its illustration, rather in the feeling. It's a deep depression or crippling anxiety, unable to see those who you call a friend help you, unable to move and experience the world around you. This darkness separated people from reality and it shut them down without warning and without further hope. So when we reach the darkest plague of all, the death of the firstborn, it's no surprise that this is also done in darkness. Moses said, quote, Thus say the Lord, toward midnight I will go forth among all the Egyptians. And then you know what happens. At the darkest point of night, this deep darkness hits the Egyptian families with the worst dark of all. Death, the absence of physical interaction with someone you love. So where is the light? Ori, come up here. <laughs> Especially on a morning that was so filled of pride, joy, you can take your water, joy, love, and extreme accomplishment, there has to be light somewhere. Ori, the light that we find in this Parsha is intricate and hidden, but it is there. For example, on one side of the Parsha, we have this 10th plague, the killing of the firstborn children. And at the end of the Parsha, we're given the mitzvah of redeeming all of our firstborns. Redeeming the first fruit of our womb to recognize the magic, the blessing, and the beauty of bringing life into the world. That can be human life or animal life, as it's written about in the Parsha, or new creative ideas, new acts of kindness, or new skill sets. Or you are not the firstborn, as we've seen. But I have experienced you as someone who brings light and redeeming qualities of blessing into all that you do. The other place where light is found amidst the darkness in the Parsha is in the same place where the darkness falls. The Egyptians are in the dark while their neighbors, the Israelites, are still experiencing light and dark elements of their day. So how come the Israelites didn't bring their light into Egyptian homes? Or, ask the, or did the Egyptians ask the Israelites for refuge in their light? Because no one was looking beyond themselves Everyone was acting as their own pod within the confines of their own family or community. Ori, I feel like you do exactly the opposite. You are an astute thinker, a careful listener, a critic of opposing thoughts, and a very mature and funny teenager. You are always thinking and looking beyond yourself and your own experience to recognize how and where you can bring light to others. Just a few weeks ago, you encountered a moment of doubt around your extremely profound drash. However, you didn't doubt it because of its content or the hard work that you put into it. You were worried about how others might hear the message. 
you would have brought light into the Egyptians' homes because that is exactly who you are. Or I hope that even in a world where things can seem dark, that you are always able to find the light. After all, and I didn't write this drosh with this in mind, your name means my light. And you live up to that name as a student, as a brother, as a son, as a family member, and now as a mature community member. May you continue to find moments to brighten paths of light forward for those who are stuck in the dark and ways to bless the first fruits of your heart and your mind. You are a special kid and someone who we are looking to learn from and have as a guiding light for the Jewish people for many years ahead. Mazalto. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tba.org.